0: Love, 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 Love,
1: Mainland.
2: Hi guys, I'm Nathan. And I'm Cara. And we are the winners of Season 2 UK
1: Love Island. And
2: you're listening to Love Mainland, the world's best Love Island podcast.
0: Paparadoum. Mm.
2: Hooray-poo-pidoo. Get to me there.
1: Ooh, yeah. That's all I have to say. It's all I have to say. This
2: is... Great Simply Red, great. Great song.
0: Do you know why they're called Simply Red?
2: Is there a ranger?
0: I don't know the the answer, I'm asking.
2: Oh, yeah, but I think because he's a ranger, Mick Hucknall.
0: Is it really that simple? Probs. What do you think of this statement? Every redhead is an orphan.
2: I feel like you've said this to me before.
0: I don't, I mean, Somewhere I've said some heart. other like mad imperative thing like that to you before, but I haven't said that one to you before. I know, but not in.
2: It's like a pinpoint. It's a it's a pinpointing of a specific characteristic. I think there are so many other things that would equally make one feel orphaned.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I think that. I think that it's it's one that's pretty um, frequently different to the parents. Because like, neither oh, parent, neither parent can be redheaded, but the child comes out redheaded, right? Yeah. And so then that's like, I don't know, that's like neither child being black, but the child comes out black. It's like, okay, something's gone wrong here.
2: Neither of the parents are black and the child comes out black.
0: Neither of them are black and the child comes out black.
2: Yeah, that's not a thing.
0: And then you're like, oh, okay, there's a... Pretend- <laughs> There's a paternity <laughs> problem here. That's the,
2: what I'm saying. That's like, what does the milkman
0: look like? Exactly. And that's what the redhead conjures also in a lot of cases.
2: Mm. It's a it's a fear in the paternal figure.
0: Yes. But I think what you just it's- said is also great, which is that in all of us, we carry at least one or some combination of attributes that are like not neither maternal nor paternal. And that make us wonder if by virtue of that single attribute, let's say, we're an orphan.
2: Yeah, And how we cannot ever be our parents. And so in that way, we're all orphaned.
0: Yeah, like in your case, you're a philosophy bro, right? And it's like, well, (laughs) is your mum a philosophy bro? Or is your dad a philosophy bro? Okay, so if
2: if this is the example (laughs) we're using, then I know I am an orphan.
0: Exactly. Exactly, because Cause you I love does. Bataille so much. <laughs> you know, My and father
2: loved Bataille. My father's father loved Bataille.
0: Well, or they didn't, you know.
2: No, they did not.
0: You know, um, a couple days ago, um, I was talking about the link between Bataille and Lacan.
2: Hmm. Oh, with their with their lover slash wife slash mistress.
0: Oh, it's funny you went straight there as well. I did as well. I think what, it, the question was about inter, the, their intellectual um, overlap, but um, I also went straight to their sexual overlap, and then I found. I mean, qu-
2: under underlying their intellectual overlap is the fact that they had the same lover over the course of many years. Well, they well, had well, the same wife, from one to the other, yeah. I mean if they're if they're if they're if their like very blatant sexual rivalry is not in some way inspiring their intellectual output and relationship to each other, then uh, I'll leave my hat.
0: Yeah. I mean I mean I think that the point is that through Sylvie Bataille, um, Lacan and Georges Bataille loved each other. That was the yeah. way in which that they um fucked each other or whatever
2: oh that's interesting so she is a mere vessel a mere (laughs) interlocutor between these two great men for you
0: there's that episode in i'm not answering your question but there's an there's that episode in um transparent did you watch transparent
2: absolutely watched every episode
0: yeah like a good jew and um
2: (laughs) it's really i mean there are so many things in that show that yeah close to
0: the bone there are so many things there it, 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 to do with queerness and Judaism that are close to the yeah, bone yeah i was
2: like oh it's like it's like I, I wrote this show <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway um do you remember it's it's only like episode 1 or 2 where the daughter is um has orchestrated a threesome with two men yes. one of whom is her personal trainer
2: Oh and, my god, that incredible man. Yes. And
0: she says aloud during the sex, I'm but a conduit between the two of you. You want to fuck each other. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, well,
2: I mean, that's that's like a, not an uncommon fantasy, is if it's like.
0: But whose fantasy the, is that? Is that the fantasy of the woman in this threesome or of those men or all, all, I think all, it's all of Hoffman's the above? I think
2: it's Gallagher's fantasy. I think it's Gabby Hoffman's fantasy that it be a genuine like um, mutual is bisexuality experience. Is Gabby Hoffman experience.
0: the name of that actress?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: Um, um, good Jewish name. Uh, but anyway, the, listen, This I started this just because on my desktop right now is a picture of Sylvie Bataille lying on the snow naked or topless. At what? Least. Yeah. It's a really hot photo. Yeah, that
2: adds up. That does add up. What does he look like?
0: She, I'll, do Oh, it's what?
2: Sylvie Bataille. Sylvie, th- not
0: I George. Said- yeah.
2: Oh, <laughs> I was like, I want to see him reclining. Topless. Do you know what?
0: Now I want to <laughs> Oh. I reckon he would have posted nudes.
2: For sure.
0: I'm searching it.
2: Are you going to share your screen with me?
0: Oh, I'll, I'll let you know if I find it. Nah, No. Nah. I mean, there's lots of covers of various editions of the story of the eye where there's somebody's with somebody like spreading their yeah. ass cheeks, but there is no, there's no, there are no batai nudes on the internet, or at least not on Google image search. Which is which I mean, is the, fucked, the, really. What a.
2: Are you like? angry that there aren't batai nudes online
0: yes (laughs) um yeah
2: yeah that is valid Uh,
0: yeah it is valid right fucking practice would you preach bitch
2: yeah i I love that like the source of your um momentary sexual frustration is the lack of batai nudes like he he would love this the culmination of your inability for fulfill to fulfill your like sexual desire is not being able to jack off to Georges Bataille uh,
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've got anything else to say to that
2: it's perfect it's so perfect <laughs> your particular perversion <laughs>
0: It's funny as well because he's like not one of those ones that was actually hot when you look up their young photos.
2: Oh, who like, was really?
0: Oh, like young Stalin is just very beautiful.
2: Oh yeah, Stalin, of course.
0: Yeah, young Che wasn't a
2: theorist. These are revolutionaries. They're not theorists. I mean, of they had to be good looking. They had to sway the people.
0: They're figures that you know have hot young oh, photos. Yeah, but
2: it's diff- it's different. Oh, but Ty, no, he wasn't really good looking at all.
0: Yeah, but it is uh, both funny and worrying the way that it's the thinkers that are not that good looking <laughs> when they're young.
2: It's a concern. And, and, like, you know, there is an argument to say that theorists who are locked up in their ivory towers and maybe feel a disconnect from the games of desire... Like, all of their theory comes from perhaps being the outsider in that game.
0: I mean, you're being generous, the outsider or just the aggo. The aggo, right. Have have you ever searched Hegel?
2: (laughs) I don't know what Hegel looks like, to be honest. Oh,
0: he's disgusting. You should search it.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. There you go. Yes.
0: The smarter oh, you wow. are, the worse you look.
2: Yes.
0: Except that Einstein is kind of hot, isn't he?
2: I I believe so because he's like one of my people.
0: Well, yeah, he's like a cheeky looking Jew. Yeah. I'm I'm looking <laughs> I'm looking him up now, and actually, he is he is good looking. It's not actually just it's not just our internal racism. He's he's he, yeah, he's not Brad Pitt, but he's um. He's got yeah, a, he's got a, he's got a like a a, a a relatively symmetrical face, and he's cheeky.
2: I think Nietzsche had a look. He was good looking.
0: Is that controversial? Let me look up Nietzsche. Is it? I I don't know. I
2: yeah. Wittgenstein was good looking.
0: Yep. Too clean shaven. I can't take Wittgenstein seriously because he's too clean shaven.
2: Yeah, it's true. He's got a clean look. Nietzsche, hot.
0: But that's because, Um, you know, Wittgenstein to me looks like an engineer.
2: Yeah, right. It fits. Yeah, exactly. He looks like the... It's like, oh, yeah, um, you're part
0: of the professional managerial class.
2: He looks like the... What's that brand of um, Chinese beds that Ferrucci? Yes, he does.
0: DeRu- he looks like DeRucci. Fr-
2: DeRucci. He looks like DeRucci guy.
0: Anybody who's listening to us from outside Australia will not have a clue, but they need to search. No,
2: they would. I'm sure it's a multinational Chinese company that has chosen this like stock image of a German-looking scientist.
0: I am i don't know one way or the other, but so let's describe it anyway. So it's this bed company called DeRucci, spelled DeRucci. D-E space R U C I and at... Um, Melbourne Airport. There's a huge um, billboard that's been there forever, <laughs> forever, on which this man who doesn't look Italian, he definitely looks German, even though he the name is so DiRucci, Um And he stand there, and he's he, he's just uh, he, there's a bust of him on this on this billboard, and he looks stern and angry, and he's staring. He's got like
2: those little. He's got those little um, the circle glasses. You know, the, the tiny evil scientist circle glasses.
0: yeah and he's staring right into your soul and then he's on one side of it and then on
2: and he's in white he's in like a lab coat type situation as if like that does the science of mattress making yes so
0: exactly he's like the very angry genius of, <laughs> <Yes>. of special <laughs> beds and then on the other side of the billboard is a bed that just looks like the most <laughs> average bed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just every time you go up to Melbourne Airport, there's this Derucci dude just staring at you. I
2: fucking love Darucci so much.
0: Yes, and I, and you know what? I he looks exactly like Wittgenstein. It's really he true. He does. It's I think true. actually
2: every time I've gone to the airport I've thought about Wittgenstein. Wow. Because of Mr. DeRucci. Mm. Jean-Paul Sartre hideous, Camus absolutely gorgeous.
0: Oh, really? Let me. Yeah, I mean Sartre was hideous, but he fucked so much.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: And Camus, oh. yes. That's uncontroversial, isn't it? Yeah. But the thing is the thing is that um Frenchmen are hotter the uglier they are, right?
2: Oh, like Gainsborough. Yeah. Yeah, gross.
0: Well, like Gainsbourg and like, um, Sartre.
2: Yeah, yeah. The French—they can really pull off. You know, they they can get beyond the superficiality of good looks to to be the like object cause of desire that doesn't require a pretty face. They know how to do it.
0: No, but not that doesn't require a pretty face. That like, in fact, requires a um, lazy eye. Like, you're not hot unless you've got a lazy eye.
2: (laughs) Oh, shit. Yes. It's beyond the illusion, really. Maybe the French really know what they're doing there.
0: Yeah, they they know what they're doing. They're like, don't spoil it, all right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Listen. Come back when you've got a pirate patch on, because seriously, this is too much. Okay.
2: I can't take you serious right exactly. now. Exactly. Chis- you you sit down at
0: the date, and your French lover is like, "Okay, go go home, eat three kilograms of ice cream, and return to me with a chubby face, because <laughs> this is disgusting.
2: <laughs> look at you. I've looked. I've looked up the best looking philosophers. <laughs> I just googled it. Number one, Wittgenstein yeah Foucault number two that's true he's hot Nietzsche number three I was right so this is bullshit Daniel Dennett I don't think so
0: Dennett I mean do you even class Dennett as a philosopher I know that
2: yeah that's controversial yeah I mean someone someone likes a wizard daddy that's and also yeah Um,
0: how and when I'm I just googled Dennett young because I only have ever seen photos of Dennett old with a beard
2: yeah me too
0: and if you would search Dennett Young, you find a man that looks exactly like Daniel Dennett, old, only yeah. a bit younger.
2: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, it's, that
0: uh, that's wild to me that he would be four on Hot Philosophers. That's yeah, ridiculous.
2: that doesn't. No, he looks like Santa Claus,
0: but he looked like um, Santa Claus when he was nineteen.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And he's also not a philosopher. Don't at me. Keep going.
2: I think, uh, I mean, he's more of like a, a cognitive, he's like a cognitive scientist, philosopher.
0: Uh, he's he's an author of popular scientific books.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay, number five, Kierkegaard. Let's pull him up. What does he look like? I can't remember.
0: I mean, his writing is hot. He's very, he's a moody bastard.
2: Oh, that's hot. I mean he's the he's the dark in Tall Dark and Handsome.
0: Do you reckon? But he's also sort of the chinless in Tall Dark and Habsburg.
2: Oh, uh, Kierkegaard was hot. Based on these illustrations I'm looking at. Mm. Yeah, he looks pretty good looking. Big eyes. Um, I mean his
0: he is like he's very his writing is very juiced up.
2: So it's a hand job for the neurotic.
0: Yeah. With a pat on the back at the same time.
2: With the other hand. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean he, he's dead, he's not limited to two hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh shit. How many hands no, I mean, How
0: many hands has a spirit? This okay, this oh. is a question for Hegel. How like Yes, yes, um Professor Hegel, but how many hands does spirit have?
2: Okay. Nineteen philosophers ranked by hotness according to BuzzFeed. At number nineteen, we have Jeremy Bentham. These people are having a laugh. Yeah, he is a potato.
0: Yeah, but you like um, uh, Tom, painted egg.
2: Oh no! Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Jeremy Bentham isn't a painted egg. He's a potato.
0: Yes, I mean, yeah, he's got that. He's got the fattest head of yeah anybody. He's just a. He's a smooth smooth and fat head.
2: It's true. I yeah. mean, okay, I wonder how his potato head influenced his development of the idea of utilitarianism.
0: Well, because he's like, well, there should be um, pussy even for potato heads.
2: Yes. Yeah. I wasn't getting enough <laughs> yeah. of the finer things in life. If we could just spread those. Across the population as best we can.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He was nature's original incel.
2: (laughs) That is where utilitarianism comes from.
0: It's true. Um, It's true. Utilitarianism, right? The greatest pussy for the greatest number.
2: If I look like Wittgenstein, I wouldn't be arguing for this shit. But (laughs) (laughs) we can't all look like Darucci. Okay, number eighteen, George Berkeley, I'm not overly familiar with Berkeley's philosophy, and he looks like he comes from maybe at least three centuries ago uh based no four or five I don't know mm. um, John Stuart Mill, okay, we have a second utilitarian thinker, I mean, he looks absolutely terrifying to me. BuzzFeed is having a laugh.
0: Well, but you're at like 17 right now.
2: Okay, number 16, Rene Descartes. Um,
0: yeah, okay. That's already no, that's already in the, the tolerable.
2: Do you think? Kind of. Well, he is French and he's pulling off a lazy eye.
0: Yeah, I guess he's French and he's sort of like goblin-y and they like that.
2: They do love that. Okay, Hobbs, number 15. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of these people are just like old and white. I'm struggling a little bit. Karl Marx, well, there's a daddy. Hot, hot, hot.
0: But yeah, Karl Marx is not Um, hot, hot, but he's also not not intolerably ugly. So just with that big beard and with the knowledge behind him, he's just a daddy.
2: I don't think he. Yeah, he's just a daddy, but also he's got such a powerful, strong look. Like he's a. He looks like a big man. He's got a big head. There's yeah something hot about that.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um. To be honest, I don't really know what Marx looked like when he was younger, and I'm. Um, number thirteen, Gottfried Leibniz. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he's that just looks like wild eighteenth century like giant wig. There's a lot going on there, and he's not hot. Wow, David Hume. Uh, I didn't Can you skip so to, like, the top
0: this. three? Because these guys are all just, like, very, all right. All right. very okay, generic-looking old men.
2: Old white men. Number 11, Emmanuel Kant. Yeah, he looked pretty hot. Um, Plato, now we're talking. Looks like a hottie. Um Jean-Jacques Rousseau, number nine. Oh, yeah, he's like a good-looking French person, and that makes him quite ugly. Number Mm -hmm. eight, uh, eight, John Locke. Ooh, John Locke, no. Mm -hmm. Number seven, Aristotle. Ooh, I think Aristotle might be a legit hottie.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: He's got that thing where he goes narrow in the face and then wide at the jaw.
2: That looks like a bad iPhone filter. (laughs) Um, John Rawls, number six. Okay. Oh, yeah, and here we are. Number five, Kierkegaard. Number four, Daniel Dennett. Mm-hmm. Number three, That's ridiculous.
0: Nietzsche. Why is number four Daniel Dennett?
2: I know. I know, it's weird. Well, someone's just got a daddy thing.
0: No, but This is the second time that you've found Daniel Dennett on no, the list. No, it must
2: be the same list. It's the same list. I'm looking at the full list now, counting down.
0: He's an ugly man.
2: He's not so ugly. Like, look, he's got kind eyes.
0: Fine. He's got kind eyes, but he's Fine. not... Fine.
2: I came across Daniel Dennett in my undergrad studies. The the one and only time I've ever read him was looking at the evolution of human consciousness.
0: Did you read scared. Elbow Room? That's the one I've read. No. Well, no. I, I mean, because I encountered him in... I first encountered him I read- in neuroscience plain and simple yes. but then i yes. um then i started uh going to these neuropsychoanalysis conferences which is a, like um an attempt started by this guy called mark soames <coughs> to reconcile neuroscience with psychoanalysis but it's not with our style of ni- of psychoanalysis it's not oh there's there's not much Lacan oh. going on there uh mm. and it's also it's a wrong-headed attempt i think I mean that's that's my personal opinion I guess is that it's a it's an attempt that falls more on the side of yeah. the legitimation of neuroscience than it does on the legitimation of psychoanalysis because
2: That's interesting.
0: Um it really kowtows to the validation by neuro um
1: Oh ra- yeah. Ra-
0: it's like validating psychoanalysis by its attachment to neuroscience. By the, lo- neuro, the neuroscience.
2: logic of neuroscience. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Rather than the other way around, which is, I think, the proper way around, which is that neuroscience should have to prove its utility to psychoanalysis. Really? Yeah. What the hell is neuroscience I've, doing? It, except like doing a bit more than neuroanatomy did.
1: Neuros- well,
2: a bit more, exactly, but it's still using the same like rules and logic uh, of an empirical science that they're holding dear. I mean, you're using yeah. a different value system to judge that to to the overarching and ruling Absolutely. system of thought. Yeah, well, the yeah. thing is
0: that, neuro- I mean, neuroscience is actually a very diverse specialty and I, there's a lot of different things going on in neuroscience, but let's say that there's a very Prevalent current within neuroscience that takes psychological like um, notions from psychology and psychoanalysis and just mm. turn turns them into um, objects of scientific inquiry as if they can just be yes. made made into little miniature organs within the brain and yes. then studies something like fear or love yeah. or-, <laughs> yeah. or whatever these essentially narrative concepts and literary concepts things that have nothing to do them with into science a,
2: into an in, like a measurement instrument yes, like a, a data exactly. co- data collection tool
0: exactly taking literary concepts like love or yes. fear and then putting them through the meat grinder of science as if that they're as if they're valid valid objects of scientific inquiry and as it, as if their
2: development, their development of an experiment, they have so much faith in their ability to develop an experiment that has the ability to measure such a thing. It's, yeah. Oh, we're gonna
0: we're gonna find the the, so the love confident. organ in the brain. We're gonna find the <laughs> yeah. We're gonna find using functional MRI, we're gonna see which yeah. part of the brain lights up when you're in love. Okay. Ask any human being when they're in love, they wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. Nobody knows and, when they are or they aren't in love. Try and <laughs> get a
2: scientist to be able to word the right question to get someone to even try and answer that. Like how would you even begin to try and collect that data?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The the man in the bar test is failed immediately. Nobody knows if they are or they yes. aren't in love. And that's and that's just one example of many. There's a number of different states of being that are not really easily ascertained mm. or are defined by not being ascertainable like love yes like fear all these things where you just can't you just are you're in a relationship with them you're in a relationship with the concept of love but you're never attaining it yes. you're never not attaining it you're just always sort of striving for it or running from it or whatever yeah, but you can't question of- you can't point cock an index finger at it and say that's where it is
2: that's what i love
0: exactly yeah
2: yeah but having said that like and i'm no expert but i'm sort of um comforted by the idea that there are people putting time into researching Potential connection between what we can know of neuroanatomy and neuroscience mm. and what psychoanalysis has been making claims about. Are you pissing in my pocket like, or what? No. I, I, like, why? Because you agree?
0: Well, because that's my PhD. So,
2: yeah, right, right. And like, even though I think those things, there will be ways in which they are fundamentally incompatible, um, particularly as someone who came through psychological sciences and having to toe that line that is heavily cognitivist, etc., cetera, et cetera and, and pretty dismissive of psychoanalytic ideas. Um, you know, when I was introduced to psychoanalytic writers and educators who were showing this research that's being done experimentally, mainly about how, like, the brain—what we might speculate the brain does with memory and how it retrieves it—all of that stuff is relevant to psychoanalysis, and I, I don't think it's necessary to keep it in the abstract forever. And if, if it's relative to
0: psychoanalysis, do- it's it's definitely relevant to psychoanalysis, but it's not—it's um, it's the less important thing. I mean that. The limitation, the physical limitations on memory, and things like, I don't know, yeah, the speed of recall or how many things you can register in short term memory, all of those things are less like, important than things like desire.
2: I know that's true, but there's yeah. still meaning in thinking about like what humans can come to know, you know, previously they may not have known that we can like use some brain science to understand that oh okay emotions might be attached to this form of like a memory in this particular way mm. like that's interesting to me you know perhaps not the like the primary question but it's interesting to me sure i, think.
0: I mean i think we spoke about this uh two or three episodes ago when it's like but well, we, we were talking about astrology at that time but if i want to talk about neuroscience i think i have the exact same claim for it uh, mm. which is that as long as it's being used to open the question, it's fine. Mm. But if neuro mm. if neuroscience is being used to close the question, mm. Mm. then no, it's, it's useless. Yes. And I think the listeners should know that I started as a neuroscientist before I became interested yes. in psychoanalysis and that my interest in psychoanalysis essentially stemmed from the fact that um, my scientific work within neuroscience came to a dead end in my own thinking, I mean... Mm. I'm not claiming that neuroscience is a dead end. There's plenty to work on in neuroscience. Mm. But mm. what I was interested in was the problem of the human experience. The mm. div- uh, mm. what what now that I know about psychoanalysis, wh- what I would say is the division of the human subject, the problem that we're hopelessly divided against ourselves. Mm. Mm. And that the things that we think we want are not precisely the things we want yes. and that it's difficult to know wh- where our desire lies. And that, um, you know, that the ego is not the self and all these things. Um, And I was playing around in neuroscience and neuroscience is just telling you things about the brain. It's It's not telling you very much about the self.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the structure and the electricity of the brain can't really get to those questions at all.
0: Can't get to those questions because essentially all it's doing is saying, okay, this is what you're working with. Well, everybody's working with something. Mm. Like, yeah. um, you know, compared to Einstein, we all have a cognitive impairment, <laughs> you know. So, yes. it's, it's entirely not the cognitive capacity of the brain yes. that has anything to do with our human experience. We're all brain damaged compared to some ideal. Yes. What we have to do is accommodate ourselves and accommodate our desire to our capacity, and yes. neuroscience can do something to elucidate the capacity, but it can't do anything to explain desire. It can't do anything to explain how we accommodate ourselves to desire.
2: Like post-scientific revolution and the, like the cognitive behavioral takeover of, of the sort of study of the mind, we sort of need neuroscience now as a transitional object. Like it's sort of there, there is a utility to it. In that it might comfort people to the idea of of psychoanalysis and of things that might be beyond our understanding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from a medical from a medical perspective. I yeah. think we might need neuroscience to buttress it. Well,
0: yeah, I don't know if we need it as an explanatory tool, but I do think we need it as a discursive tool. I think now it's too. Mm. It's too difficult to depart from um, anatomy as the scientific object of the soul. Mm. Like the brain. Because, I mean, the, the brain we, has we to be. We might move
2: past that again. What's that, sorry? We might move past that again, just like we moved into it, you know, at a certain point in thinking.
0: We might, but right now, there's. Uh, right now, the anthropological unit of. Uh, well, sorry. The anthrop the the anthropological unit is the brain. Yeah. I mean, right now, I believe that the majority of people, um, or at least the majority of people who are listening to this podcast, would claim or accept that a brain in a jar would, um, if it were alive and conscious, would constitute a human being.
1: Mm.
0: I think the aliveness is easier for me to accept than the consciousness. I don't know that a brain in a jar can be mm. conscious. I think that remains mm. to be seen. But I think people would see, would hear that and think, oh, yeah, a brain in a jar could be conscious if we overcame some practical mm. hurdles. And in that case, that would be a human being.
2: Yes. Well, I think it, there's uh, people grasp that we all grasp that behaviorism is the – reason why evolutionary psychology is so popular because of the anxiety provoked in in an unknowability.
1: Mm, mm,
2: if we can't lock it down to something that we can look at a scan of and and like trace causation into, well, isn't that the definition of anxiety?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, that tracing of causation is, uh, is highly imaginary in the first place. Yeah. That, that, that's what I think. I mean... Yes, it's it satisfies an aesthetic of tracing causation. It's not actually tracing any sort of causation,
2: no. but it's a it's the it's the neurotic symptom, right? To need to know what is being do- like, what is happening.
0: Yes, it's right. an, It's definitely a neurotic symptom to need to know where it's coming from, and I mm. think that that fits in at this at this particular historical moment with the convention yes. that things come from the objects of science and in the yes. realm of the human being, the object of science is anatomy.
1: Mm. Mm. Even if a that anatomy is anatomy. made
0: yes, even if that anatomy is made particularly sophisticated, it's still essentially you have to be able to see it. It has to be a chunk of meat for it to and still, be the and thing that could so pos- possibly cause something. Yeah. And yes, and the the and brain is a mystery. Meat, it's it's a mystery. Yeah,
2: totally. Uh, yeah. So it's still it's still it's still unknown enough to contain that possibility of knowing. I think that's why people are obsessed with brain science and, uh, as a way to um, make valid any other psychological claims.
0: Oh right, yes, I agree with you, and I didn't realize I did. Yes. Mm. I I mean, my first impression is oh people want to be able to eliminate the notion of enigma. And that's why mm. they want everything to be anatomical. But what you're no, saying is, ah, oh, but if they make that item of anatomy the brain, mm. then in fact they still get to preserve that enigma because everybody knows mm. the brain is very complex. Who knows what's yes, going on? Yes, and no inside one can it.
2: understand the brain, yes.
0: Yes, right they they become black boxologists of the human yes. soul.
2: Yes, that we can't fully tap but we have the ability to eventually tap and we work towards that.
0: Yes, totally. Yep, agree with you. 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, people have this like dual approach to the brain, which is that okay, it's knowable, but oof, thank god we don't actually know it yet.
2: <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> yes. right.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> I just get some water. <laughs> ah dip 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 Sam. Hello Alana.
2: How are you this evening?
0: I'm faring well enough.
2: Good, good. That'll do. Well, let's be honest, you're a few whiskies down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
2: um I'm a few sakes down.
0: Hey, can I tell you something?
2: Yeah. Is this is wine- why. I want
1: you to show me. I can't hear it. I want to hear what love is. Why can't I hear it? I'm blaming the I
0: don't know something oh. about something about the internet.
2: Oh fuck that!
0: Mm. It's a very it's a very powerful song.
2: I know. It's like you're saying that like you're the first person who have discovered this.
0: It's the first time I've discovered it because I've heard wow. that I've heard the chorus so many times, but I never realized in the proper frame oh. what a powerful song it is
2: In my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can take it again. <laughs> I can't stop now. I've traveled so far. It's crazy Change this lonely life
0: hey did you like search the lyrics just now?
2: No, I know all the lyrics to all songs, Sam. Do you not know this about me?
0: Okay. what's the, What are the lyrics to Informer by Snow? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, can't play any more songs that I can't hear. I want to know what love is! Okay, Sam, all right. I want
0: you
1: to show me!
0: Alrighty. All right. Um, so we just watched episode nine, didn't we? Of um, Love Island, UK, like season two. And it was kind of a non-episode.
2: There wasn't much going on, except a few things happened, but we we weren't really feeling it. But a few things happened. A few
0: things happened, but, I mean, you and I have been watching Love Island so much lately that...
2: Oh, for most of my life now, it seems.
0: It does seem that way. And um, things that are only mildly juiced up, don't really even qualify anymore. So on this one, I think the main the main set piece on this one was the fact that Reichardt and Rachel went off somewhere.
2: Yeah, Rachel, the new girl, she's a hot nurse.
0: She She's a hot person and a nurse. Mm. And um, they went off somewhere. She seems to be interested in literally whoever.
2: Yeah, I think she's interested in mastering her... F- flirt
0: game yes i think she is very flirty and very successful Mm. in that way and i don't see any particular like um proclivity emerging i don't think she cares one way or the other it's just whoever who it's it's whoever at the moment
2: but it's not so attractive to me
0: yeah she hasn't got like she hasn't really committed to anyone either so i think she's just maybe seeing what happens
2: yeah, initially she came into the house with an interest for Daniel which um, is already as as,
0: it's already psycho to have an interest for Daniel. Yeah. Cuz he uh, doesn't know shit and he But
2: he's like conventionally good looking and speaks Spanish and
0: Yeah, he's a conventionally good looking robot man who speaks Spanish. Correct. Um but anyway, so that was the central part. So if I think about the the Rachel thing and so if i think about how does that help you and i well we're interested in some of the generic features of love that are exposed in this um in this sh- television show and here we've got yeah. Rachel and Rycard and Rycard has promised himself to Olivia in this highly ambiguous way because he's said to Olivia um well we're not in we're not in love and this isn't the ultimate couple. But but I'm loyal to you. I'm loyal to you, which is almost meaningless. But anyway, but I'm loyal to you. Look, I'll look after you until a woman comes in that I'm after.
2: But he didn't even say that. He was like, okay, so you've got to remember that the women had the power just earlier, which is why he needed to get Olivia on side. She was essentially choosing between two men that she didn't have romantic involvement with.
1: And right. he was like...
2: I've got your back. We're mates. I'm going to look out for you no matter what. It doesn't matter who comes into this house. Like our friendship is the loyalty, and blah blah blah. And then as soon as another, like literally the next day, right or that night, Rachel came in and he was like, "Boy, yo, yo, yoing." Right. Just gone for it. And Olivia, look, took him on his word. There's some sense to that, but also the word itself is absurd. This idea that someone is going to forfeit their opportunity. To hook it up with someone they're sexually attracted to, because of this loyalty that they've made with a friend that they've known for five years. Yeah, because your friends on a game show called Love Island.
0: Yes, it's absurd. That the demand from the the implicit demand from Olivia is absurd in the first place, right?
2: But but he did promise it, and it was all of his words claiming that that was sort of yes, some which he, sort of miraculous stance that he would take.
0: Yeah which is um, selfish of him and also wrong.
2: Totally like intentionally manipulative on on his part because he then started going for Rachel immediately, took her on a date. Olivia felt upset. Olivia and the other girls were talking about it. And then he got really off it. He was like, I'm sick of this. Why are all the girls talking about Olivia being upset or me and Rachel going on a date? Like, why do they need to talk before I go out of date? They don't have anything to do with this. And you were like, oh, look at him. He's like reacting against female solidarity. He cannot handle it. This idea that.
0: Yeah. At first, women I thought it was that he call. was just, uh, it's just sort of like a very um, bait, like a fundamental, like a fundamentally misogynistic position. Oh, I cannot stand the notion that um, these women are banding together but then um the show alerted me like it was all built in already to the editing of the show that actually it's just he's um still angry with Marlon Tell for having left sh- him for Terry and he's he's expressing his aggression towards Marlon as an aggression towards the girls as a group
2: i hated that you know yeah rykard Rikard got shafted um when marlon decided to be with terry and not him um, and he had to sort of take it on the chin and take it well. And I think he thinks despite these lies that he's told Livia about a friendship loyalty alliance, he's he's getting a little uppity because he's like, well, why can't I do this now? This was done to me. Uh, I was shafted for, for another guy. Totally. Um, and, and he... And, and yeah, Rachel he like, is hot. Girls- yes, yes, we know you think that, Sam.
0: What um, that you know that, but the listeners don't know that yet.
2: But when he was bitching to the guys about the women talking, and he was, he he was so adamant that it was inappropriate that these women talk about how the men may have treated them.
0: Yeah, there was something wrong about it, wasn't there? About the way. that and he then, was like, just yeah, in in like he was just basically against women talking about men. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he was like, I need to I, I should be able to do what I want. Why why are they talking about it? And it and as you said, this sort of reaction against female solidarity and it just had this like air of an employer trying to keep his employees ununionized, you know?
0: Yeah, they can't they like, they can't talk because then they'll see all of our bad behaviour.
2: Yeah. We'll we'll see these like Mutual dissatisfactions and injustices that we're all experiencing.
1: Mm, mm, mm. I
2: mean, I think Reichhardt is trying to ununionize women.
0: Yeah, well, I'm with Reichardt on that. Women shouldn't unionise.
2: No, it's dangerous.
0: It is. It is. Um, women shouldn't shouldn't compare notes on men. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's. I don't think it's Christian.
2: It's not productive in the literal sense.
0: Well, yeah, actually, yeah, that's that could be true. What you say (laughs) what you say there intending to be ironic could in fact be true. Yes. It's not productive in the sense of reproduction for women to know very much about men.
2: That's right.
0: Yeah. The less known the less known the better.
2: Exactly. If we want to procreate, we just have to not give a, a moment's thought to the behaviour of men. Um,
0: yeah, the, the, the juiciest yes.
2: thing that you've skimmed over in the episode, mm. excuse me, that our gal Sophie had sex for the first time oh, yeah. uh, with her boyfriend Tom Painted Egg in a cupboard um, that was only just out of view of the cameras i mean tom's
0: tom's ass as he went in and out of sophie was very much in view so you could completely envisage the sex act and but in
2: pants in pants
0: it was a very quick fuck it was a quick
2: it was so quick it was a quick ribbity
0: fuck wasn't it it was like like I know.
2: That. I think our beautiful Sophie, uh, sexually liber- liberated horn dog Sophie, just—I mean, we, you know, we've talked about this. Like, I think she just needed um, a bit of in-out.
0: She needed to cop it. Yeah. Yeah. But it didn't look like an expert fuck. I gotta say.
2: No, it was like some very basic uh, r- release. Yeah. That ha- had to happen briefly.
0: And then I and don't know. So, I don't know if this is on the editors or on, on the on the reel, but then they the next thing we saw was a, a shot of the two of them in bed, talking, and Tom Payne's leg says, "So are we girlfriend boyfriend yet?"
1: Oh.
2: And
0: Sophie says, "No, not yet." No. It was heartbreaking, actually.
2: Yeah, it really was. He he. So they just had sex for the first time, and then he it takes this sort of intimate, quiet moment between the two of them to see where he stands with her, and he said it in this way where he he, he was al- already defeated. He was like, you're not at boyfriend-girlfriend stage yet, are you? And she said no. Um and she said, "Oh, it's." She really tried to make him feel better, didn't she? Well, we're we're definitely moving in that direction. Um,
0: she said no. She said no immediately, and then she said, "But it is moving in that direction, isn't it?"
2: Yeah, she was being really honest.
0: I guess, um, but that part is a bit implicitly dishonest. Yeah, because and how, he can knows it too. how can something? How can something? like open quotes move in that direction if it if in fact you don't really want it to move in that
1: direction. Yes. Which it seems yes. that
0: she doesn't want. I mean she she is bound to him for some reason, but the reason isn't like um the reason isn't a fatal obsession with him.
2: No. Which it seems no, like it's
0: not, he wants that's what he. That's what he would see as the sign of the proper love. That like
2: he's sure. really committed to her. He he really loves her. Well, I
0: think. I'm scared of saying that he loves her, but he. They're they're in a pre love state in which he is mm. the one who loves more, or who, absolutely who wants true. more. I, this is a question for, uh, I have, like as in. In life, and also for the show, is there such a thing as one loving another without the other's participation? Like we could say, "Oh, he loves her more than she loves him," but mm. Um, mm. and and certainly, like if we were, if he was in analysis and we asked him, "Do you love her?" he might answer mm. yes, mm. and I think that's enough to say that love exists in that situation but um, if we look at it from the outside from precisely where you and I are looking for, at like as viewers uh, mm. could, should we talk about that what's happening between them as love or should we mm. say that it's like mm. a pr- it's like a proto-love situation in which uh, love might mm. be achieved but he is wanting more and she is wanting mm. too little for it to actually come to like this mutual affinity that you could eventually call love.
2: Mm. Yeah, and that's imagining that there might be something beyond the proto-love of some kind.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, is, uh, I mean, history is history has shown us a few people who loved each other.
2: Mm.
0: in a mutual way.
2: Yes. Not, Um,
0: Not that we know exactly what constituted that love, but I think we can look at a few examples and say, oh, yeah, they loved each other.
2: So what do you mean by the question of whether we can love irrespective of the other or without the other?
0: No, no, I'm talking about whether we can watch these things unfold and say that is or isn't love if it's not a mutual thing.
2: Oh yes, true. I I I genuinely don't feel like I can make a claim there, but I know that Tom Tom wants Sophie in a way that she doesn't want him.
0: Yes, exact. Yes, one hundred percent. Whereas Nathan and Kara, they want each other. other. Yeah. Yeah, in a way that is, I mean, if not symmetrical, at least um, equal enough. Yeah. It, it would constitute the love bond.
2: Absolutely agree. There's like this mutual enjoyment that you can see. Yes. In Kara and Nathan.
0: They get off on each other.
2: Exactly. Whereas
0: exactly. Tom and Sophie, Tom gets off on Sophie, but I think mm-hmm. Sophie is bound to Tom for a reason other yes. than getting off.
2: Yes, I think it's precisely because he's the thing that stops her from getting off.
0: Mm, And getting off is dangerous to her? Yes. Yeah. Because she hasn't done anything dangerous on this show yet, even though you and I, I mean, everybody knows that she does some things that are at least culturally transgressive on the show eventually. But... um, why?
2: She's not. Yeah, I and What's I mean, I think some.
0: She's using Tom said as a it limit. Well,
2: um, to limit herself. Yeah. Uh, to limit the 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 true expression of her sexual drives or whatever it might be that she's afraid of unleashing, let mm-hmm. alone on television.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: But someone said it quite well. One of the other guys in the show, in passing, in this episode. I think they were talking without Tom or Sophie present um, maybe about the fact that they'd had sex in a cupboard or that Sophie wanted it or something. And one of the guys said, Sophie's a wild gal. You can see it in her eyes right now. She's like a trapped animal or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's a caged creature.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
2: quite obvious that she's limiting um her behavior absolutely and i think the reason she stays with tom now there is there is an attachment there a loyalty a sense that that's what she should be doing rather than being with other people and sleeping around or
0: yeah it'd be nice to have an impression like to have some um understanding is too ambitious but to have some idea of why um why she's limiting herself because she clearly doesn't love Tom. So no. why is she using him as a limit instead of just looking around? Because she was attracted to Terry when he first came in, but I she, know. Didn't, I know. she didn't put her hang- hat in the ring like Marlon did. No,
2: she stayed really loyal. Yeah. There is something about her. I think she does have a respect and a fondness for Tom. Yeah, she
0: does, but I think she has, her greater fondness is for appearing loyal.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't see that in her. Maybe I give her too much credit, but I see an integrity to her that actually her loyalty to Tom is just her trying to do what she thinks is the right thing by this guy who's showing her a lot of love and respect.
0: See, I think and... Uh, it's a bit speculative, but I think that she's just so outclasses all the other people in the show. Yeah, um, like she's utterly the boss bitch, potentially yeah. in the sh- in that house.
2: But isn't is the kind is the kindest most level headed?
0: Yes, she doesn't occupy that position intentionally, but no. she has the potential to. And it's her attachment to Tom that stops her from like occupying that position.
2: Yes, yeah. It, he keeps her bound. He keeps her good.
0: Yes, and I think we've yet to see why she's so she's so determined to be bound in that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Because really, yeah. she could have like she's clearly talent a talented flirt. Yeah. That's clear, right? Or am I projecting that onto her because we we are. Uh, have spent so much time thinking about her?
2: That's a good question. She sort of positioned herself as um, as a married woman so early on in the show that we've not been given, She doesn't put herself in that position. She doesn't. Where you might see that. No. But
0: as Scott said in this episode, but you can see it in her eyes. Yeah. You can see it in her eye. And I think that that's like very telling. Yes there's something there where she will stop limiting herself and all of a sudden take control of whomsoever it is that she chooses. Yes. <laughs> and um I think that that power might frighten her. But yes. this is so <laughs> I mean this is such speculation. But yeah, she's so she's afraid of her power to seduce, so she's limiting her seduction.
2: That's possible. Yes. Yep. Um, she also said in that conversation after the sex act with Tom that he was like, "You know, I want I want you to be my girlfriend. Do you think that you'll get to that point?" And she said, um, she said something like, Sh-, "Oh, he's like he said, I never know what you're thinking. Hey, I never know what you're thinking. You never you never tell me what's going on for you."
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: she said um, something like. Talking about how I'm feeling and giving compliments are like the two hardest things for me to do in a relationship.
0: seen um the gay movie
2: oh uh the birdcage
0: no <laughs> but i love the birdcage so much
2: <laughs> it's aged terribly it is really? terrible i
0: haven't seen it since i was a kid but i loved it back yeah then.
2: don't don't rewatch it
0: okay alright um no um with um with everybody's favorite twink
2: call me by your name yeah timothy chalamet timothy chalamet, Timothee chalamet. Timothy
1: Chalamet
2: Timothy Chalamet Timothy 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 Timothy
1: Timothy Timothy Timothy,
2: Um I have seen that film, yet.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in that where there, there's a pool scene, this is before they've hooked up, um, and Timothy Chalamet is reading from some uh, narrative of courtly love. Uh-huh. And the beloved says, speak or die. And then the lover, the knight, or whatever in this story of courtly love, is uh, then has the decision of, speaking or dying like as in telling the truth or dying Mm. and um army hammer says to timothy chalamet well did he speak or did he die something like that timothy chalamet says he died Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now (laughs) i've got so far from whatever prompted me to tell that story (laughs) i haven't got a clue where we started but the, oh, really? Because I don't
2: have a point for you.
0: Well, if we go with Sophie, it's that um, there's something very powerful stopping her from just saying, listen, Tom, you're fine, but you're not that great. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's it's fatal to her at this moment. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It And like also the environment that they're in, in the villa means that there isn't a possibility of keeping things hanging in a more casual space. That's completely impossible. It wasn't possible from the day that they met. And so they are, you know, she's also pushed into a bind here where you have to say it's black or white, it's yes or no. Mm -hmm. Because there's no possibility of existing in another state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's avoiding saying no.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, if they'd known each other for longer than... 25 seconds before they had to be coupled up as it's called exactly then they yeah. might never have actually got to that point but yeah. now that they're in that point she's clearly dedicated to an idea of dedication right now
1: yeah like she's yeah.
0: she's invested in just being his woman yeah as an imperative and i don't know where well, that
2: you sort goes. of have to be when you're not unless you're in danger you're in direct Danger of being dumped. Sure, be but I'm going
0: to say Sophie doesn't have to be because she could have easily seduced any of the men that came in.
2: Mm. Maybe she felt like she couldn't. She doesn't seem to have, there is no secret frisson with other men that that is existing in the house.
0: No, I disagree. Sure. I think that Scott said it. You can see it in her eye and I think that whatever small yeah, thing. Yeah, that
2: she's, that she's horny.
0: Yes, but whatever small thing he's seeing her allow come to the surface in her eye, I think is exists in a bigger way. Like, she could just let that go. how you keep saying
2: eye. You just keep saying eye like she's a cyclops.
0: Well, he said it. you can see it in her eye. He didn't say you can see it in her eyes.
2: <laughs> Some of our listeners haven't ever
0: watched the show. I can see your eye. I can... Is How that, that I song, do? I Can See It In Your what Eyes? What is that song? Um, it's called, I Think I Can See It In Your Eyes.
2: Who's it by?
0: Men at Work. Oh.
2: Yeah.
0: Boom, boom. No, this is not
2: the right song. Oh, and then... um, And then later on in the show... Four new men were introduced into the villa, not as permanent residents, but they were coming on to date every single one of the women in the show for a speed dating activity where they would sit at a table for a maximum of three minutes each. Mm -hmm. And the ladies had a bell that they could press if they wanted to immediately end the date, which was great. They often used it. And we met, um, Sam, I think that maybe you were in the bathroom at this point or something when I was watching. We met Adam from Belfast in the um, significantly edited three-minute dating. Mm -hmm. I discovered that he's a boob guy. That's a quote from him. Mm -hmm. And that he's a personal trainer and a wrestler. Mm -hmm. Um, What sort of wrestler do you think?
0: Greco-Roman? Greco-Roman? Freestyle?
2: I think like a one, like a a fake choreographed one with a shiny outfit. You think professional,
0: so-called professional wrestling.
2: Is that the professional one? Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's what they call it. They call it pro wrestling.
2: Yeah. Oh, pro wrestling like WWF.
0: Yeah. Which is yeah, pro wrestling means not really wrestling.
2: Yeah, it's not funny. How dare they? <laughs> um. And then we met Luke from Essex. And he briefly dated all of the women and I learned absolutely nothing about him. I don't have one note. Um, Oh, yeah, and then they get to choose one to enter the house permanently. Mm All the women get to vote. Mm -hmm. And then we met Robert from Bedford. His one grandparent is from Madras and the other is from Burma. Kara was like, oh, my God, we're both Burmese. That was exciting. Then Mm -hmm. she tapped him on, as she did with all of the men. He met Zara and was like, you're Miss Great Britain. I'm a pageant boy too. And she was like, oh. and he Oh, said that
0: he, I don't really care.
2: <laughs> you think she liked it or felt threatened that he was a pageant boy? I don't think uh, she's threatened.
0: Yes. I mean, pageant boy is very different to pageant girl, isn't it?
2: True. It's weird, though. I want to know more. What the hell is that about? Mm. Um, 7,000 followers on Instagram. He told us that in response to a question that Rachel asked, which Mm -hmm. was how many followers do you have?
0: The love, love, the at love underscore mainland account has many more than 7,000 followers.
2: It's true. Mm.
0: 7 million thousand followers. (laughs)
2: Mm. And someone Uh, asked him, what's your worst trait? And he said, I'm a huge snorer. And then I think it was... Zara, maybe she just like rang the bell immediately she, immediately. She was like, No, you wouldn't admit that. That's the worst. Oh. It is and then really we met it t-
0: it really is. Snoring is a
2: like admitting that on the first date, it's like what are you doing?
0: Mm. Imagine you were a s um, are you a snorer? No. Yeah, nor am I. But it's oh, one of those things God. that just like like I've never had thank a cold God. sore. I'm feel... just so happy that I'm not a snorer. Neither.
2: Neither.
0: I'm like, fingers crossed. I never become a
2: snorer. that's how I feel too. Because it's bad, and it's bad. People who snore, bad people. But it's it's bad to be a bad bedmate. Yes,
0: it really is. Mm. Hey, I've worked it out. It's the Neville brothers. No, it's not the Neville brothers either.
2: What are you talking about? I'm still recording our podcast. <laughs> and then we have um, we have Carl number four. He's from Hertfordshire. Yep. And he is a car salesman.
0: I mean, they're all car salesmen, aren't they?
2: He's a car salesman who has a boner for Zara.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And,
0: and then... So,
2: And then the women talked afterwards and they all decided, I think it was really just the opinion of a few of them, that Adam from Belfast, the boob guy, and Robert, who's a pageant boy with 7,000 followers, I think they're going to come into the house. Mm -hmm. They chose to maybe then, oh, no, and then the UK got to vote if they were watching the show live.
0: And we'll find out next week what they voted for.
2: Yeah, or just the next episode.
0: Um. Well, I think at this point I want to say that our next episode. What's um,
2: gonna
0: happen? We'll have an interview. Woo! With reality oh, cool. reality television expert Gina Reese.
2: Okay, cool. Next week.
0: That's great. So, yeah, so next week we'll speak to Gina Reese, who's a filmmaker um, who made a documentary called Creating a Monster, which is about a lot of the things we've been discussing about the morality behind reality TV and about the psychological impact that the shows have on the contestants. So, I think that'll be really
2: good. She's also an old friend of the pod. Okay, bye bye.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.